0: So, hi there and welcome to this, which is our smart building. This is our fifth smart building webinar in the 2016 series. And it's titled Reinventing Green Building uh, and Why a New Approach Must Include Big Data Analytics uh, and the IoT. And I'm uh, very, very pleased to um, introduce Jerry Yiddleston who uh, will be, I'm going to ask him to do a little intro in a minute to himself. Uh, First of all, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Just to say uh, thank you to our sponsor, Tridium, uh, for sponsoring this year's Smart Building um, webinar series. And also just to you guys as well. We want to make this as interactive as possible. Uh, So we would love to get your questions. Uh, The way we're going to run it uh, today is Jerry is going to go through Uh, some slides, and we're going to talk about some of the content from his recent book, which is also titled Reinventing Green Buildings. Uh, So, yeah, please uh, feel free to contribute any questions, and we'll deal with them after we've gone through the slides.
1: So, without further ado, uh, hi, Jerry. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you? Excuse excuse my American accent. No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, So, obviously, you're based out there. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Southern California, about one kilometer from the Pacific Ocean. Oh, perfect. So I see
0: giving you a little bit of an intro, but it'd be great for everyone to hear a little bit more about uh, yourself and also uh, the book that you wrote recently.
1: Yeah. So in the next slide, I have a little bit of biographical material. Um, you want to key up the slides, Jim? Yep. here we go. How's that? Looks good. Um, So I've actually been involved in the green building arena since the late '90s. I co-founded the first chapter of U.S. Green Building Council, um, and I've done a lot of work over that period. And was selected as a lead fellow in 2011. And then about two and a half years ago, I took over as head of the Green Building Initiative, which is a nonprofit that promotes the Green Globe system, which is based on the UK green system and is LEED's primary competitor in the United States. Um, I've also written more than a dozen books on this subject and the most recent book, Reinventing Green Building, takes a look at whether we're really achieving the goals that we set out to achieve and makes the case that we need to redo the whole system. So I'm going to talk about that, talk about how it intersects with smart buildings, and give you some ideas of what I think should be the roadmap ahead. So in the next slide I show a little history of green building since 1990. And I've gotten a lot of commentary from the old hands in this business that say things like, well you know, green building really started in 1948 with Buckminster Fuller, or it started in 1960 with publication of this book, or in 1970, and I'm like, that's all fine, but that was really the prelude because the organized green building movement based around rating systems really started in the UK with the Bream system in 1990, and that's kind of where I start my timeline. And in 2000, the Lead system as we know it today was introduced following a two-year pilot and so forth and so on. So you can kind of see in 2002 uh, Canada launched their system, in 2003 Australia launched their system, and 2005 Singapore. So uh, gradually around the world we've seen the development of these green building rating systems. Um, that attempt to define green building. They're all usually point-based, except for the Japanese system, which is actually quite a bit different. And have been adopted in Arab countries, in Africa, all over Europe, etc. So you can see in the next slide how this system has grown over time. Um, what I did in the book was to look at LEED and BREAM as the two largest systems. And you can see that LEED is certainly larger than BREAM in terms of the non residential markets. I want to make the point here that almost all of my presentation is about the non residential market. If you looked at residential, you looked at BREAM, there would be several hundred thousand homes certified. Um, but I'm going to talk about non residential mostly today. Um, if you adjust Bream for the population differences in, between the U.S. and the U.K. (about five to one), uh, you can see that Bream has had um, much more adoption than Lead has on a per capita basis. So that's just kind of a statistical uh, quirk there. Um, just but to put things in perspective, particularly for the U.K. and European uh, listeners. And in the next slide, what I show is that. Despite what appears to be steady growth, if you actually break it apart and you begin to look at the new construction sector, you see in 2010 the going from about 6,500 to below 3,000, so 50% drop in new construction certification. So these charts are, excuse me, project registrations, new projects. You see the impact of the global financial. Crisis here. We call it the Great Recession, and then you see the um, interior design more or less holding steady at around a thousand projects a year, and the exist <clears throat> excuse me existing building down around five hundred. Now, what's interesting about that, of course, is there are about five and a half million existing non-residential or commercial buildings in the U.S. Lead <clears throat> is currently Um, bringing on board only 500 a year which is one in 10,000. So part of the thesis of this whole book and of our conversation this morning is that you can't claim that you're reducing carbon by any substantial amount if you are only certifying one in 10,000 buildings on an annual basis. We don't have 10,000 years to wait till we get them all done. So um, that is one of the big issues here. But even in new construction, you could see there's been no real recovery. Even though if I were to put the growth of commercial building in the US on this chart, you would see an upward trend starting in 2011. The trend for certification of new buildings, and including NC as new construction, CS core and shell. So core and shell would represent the commercial office sector. Um, you, you see a continued decline through 2014 and kind of a leveling out actually in 2015. So in the next slide I look at the last six years of green buildings in the U.S. and again these are registered project numbers and these are perhaps the more indicative numbers of the status of LEED because when you start a project you register it. When you finish it it could take anywhere from two to five years or even three months if it's a, a interior renovation or a fit-out. Uh, however, with new construction it takes a while. So registrations kind of show you the trends and as I indicated slight uptick in 2015, um, still well below the numbers of 2011 and 2010. What you're going to see this year is a little bit of a growth in uh, the LEED system because the new LEED version 4 becomes effective in October and everyone is rushing to get their projects registered under the old familiar um, LEED version 3 or LEED 2009, which uh, expires for new new registrations at the end of this year. So in the next slide I I now put the numbers in perspective because raw numbers don't really tell you much. If you look at the number of certified projects in the US, non-residential, that's the projects that are finished, totally evaluated, etc. End of 2015, 0.7%, less than 1% of projects after 15 years of hard work. When I first saw this number about two years ago, I'm like, this can't be right. But in fact it is. So I began to think, well, this isn't working. We're only doing 1% of the buildings." Now if you look at the next slide, you see a slightly different story uh, because the lead buildings tend to be larger. So if you look on an, on an area basis, it's about a little under four percent by area, still very small and not growing very fast. So no matter how you play the numbers, in the next ten years, the next fifteen years, you're not going to get above ten percent of the building area. Well, building area is kind of what generates carbon. So that starts to be pretty important if you look at green building and green building certification as a indicator of our efforts in the building sector to cut carbon emissions. And as many of you know I'm sure the building sector directly generates residential and commercial about 40 percent of carbon emissions at least in the U.S. And if you add in then the carbon emissions from building product, manufacture, demolition, etc., you're closer to 50%. So you can't tackle global climate change unless you tackle buildings. You all know this. So the question is, how can we do this? But the first question is more kind of a forensic one. Well, if the results aren't really very good, and remember, this is 15 years of hard work. There are 200,000 lead accredited professionals of one kind or another in the US there's 80,000 architects. You could see more than double the number of architects in the US have some sort of green building credential. And yet, this is as far as we've gotten. So you ask why. And in the next slide, I kind of lay out some of the possible reasons. Takes too long, costs too much, no PR value, requirements are too rigid. Um, many people are doing in the lower right, you see certifiable is good enough. So. This is uh, kind of like getting married without bothering to go through the formalities. You simply declare that we are now married and everything is great except for the legalities and the lack of commitment. Um, Cumbersome documentation. Just to give you a number in the US, LEED is now closing in on 11,000 credit interpretations. So, every time you do a project now, you need to master some subset of 11,000 rulings by experts. And you have to ask yourself, well, if it takes 11,000 interpretations, isn't this starting to get a bit like religion instead of building? Um, That we have to have all of these scholars and experts parsing everything and in fact, part of the reason is the lead delivery model puts um, everybody at arm's length, which sounds great on paper, but it doesn't work in practice. So most people have turned their backs on lead and say, well, we're going to do green design, um, and nuts to them. Now, there's a new version of lead, lead version 4, and that's been on the market for about two years that's supposed to be easier to use. And so I asked myself, well, In the next slide um, is it in fact easier to use so first two years on the market used in less than six percent of all new projects now you could say well of course you know everybody goes with the tried-and-true the old and familiar Uh, but still if this was significantly easier to use you would expect a lot more than 6% so In the next slide, I sort of asked the carbon question again. Our goal in the US is for all new buildings to be carbon neutral by 2030 and all existing buildings to have cut carbon emissions by 50 percent compared with a 2005 baseline. We're not anywhere close. In fact, we're so far behind that looked at another way 90% of all the buildings that stock in the US every year, 85% is not doing anything special about carbon. So we're falling behind. And we are committed to making a big change, but we're not, in fact, doing it. So what are the conclusions? Well, on the next slide, I kind of reiterate these conclusions. LEED and bream, by extension, won't scale fast enough to make a real difference. Secondly, we need a new approach that's far more cost-effective and focus on outcomes and not inputs. And I think this is one of the big uh, critiques I have is, we are obsessed with inputs. How, what is the reflectivity of your roof uh, to deal with the urban heat island effect? And I say, oh, no, <clears throat> that's really not good enough. You really have to say, how much carbon is this building generating? And that's an outcome, it's not an input, and you can in fact measure that. Further, the lead system was really created, and the brain system, during the Bill Clinton, Tony Blair era. And we're still using it fundamentally in the same way, and you have to ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what happened to all the technology changes of the last 15 years? How have these been incorporated in the system? And except for the fact that these evaluation schemes are now online, um, and you upload data uh, to an FTP site, etc., cetera, nothing has changed. We are still using essentially horse and buggy, pen and paper systems in an era when everything has gone digital. So that has to be incorporated in a new approach. And secondly, or fourthly, um, we need to cut certification costs which are now on the order of um, 100,000 to 300,000 for a new significant new elite project, 100,000 to 50,000 for an existing building. We need to cut those costs by a factor of 10 to get widespread adoption. We're in an economic society, we cannot Say, well, if you want our label, you're going to have to take your entire art budget for your nice new office building and devote it to our certification program with consultants and extra fees for all of your architects and engineers. It doesn't work. Secondly, we need to have a goal of bringing half of our buildings online, certified, low carbon by 2025, 10 years from now, less than 10 years now. And how are we going to do this? Well, in the next slide, I, I bring up something which, which I'm sure many of you have, have thought about a lot, which is what we're seeing today in real estate, particularly commercial real estate, corporate real estate, is a convergence between IT, sustainability, energy, and, and essentially the internet into building operations. And in the next slide I, I talk about sort of the, the building automation market, something that Jim and his people know a lot about. But we have the Internet of Things, you know, going to be a multi hundred billion market within short order. We have cheap sensors, cloud computing, I mean look at what Amazon is doing, Microsoft, Google, it's everything's in the cloud. Why aren't we cloud computing building? We have mobile apps, everybody wants to see things on a phone, smartphone, um, everything is an app. Why do we need these independent standalone systems that are not apps? And finally, big data analytics um, that all together, as you can see in the next slide, result in intelligent buildings, smart buildings, where you have energy conservation, operational efficiency, sustainability occupants, experience, and enhanced financials all working together. Uh, green building cannot survive or grow by standing as an outlier. And then you take all the cloud computing platforms that are out there that are shown in the next slide. Right now you could take your building data and without anybody touching it you've got automated analysis, visualization, comparison schemes, messaging, automated reporting, real-time information, whenever you get a grade Valley certification, you're essentially driving a, an auto by looking in the rearview mirror. You see what happened at one point in time, you don't get any sort of uh, YouTube movie, you just get the Instagram photo, that's not good enough. And then you could see at uh, these kind of platforms, the kind of data, as the next slide, that can be displayed. Um, here's a typical company switch automation out of Australia and the US, but you could take all of your energy data, your water data, your occupancy, everything can be normalized to weather, occupancy type of use, it can be regionalized, it can be a- assembled, and this is all in essentially real-time, as real-time as the data is. Why can't a green building system like BREAM or LEED be essentially an app that works with the API for these kind of platforms and gives you on this same screen a running score. And that's the essence of my argument. And if you look in the next slide, I, I gave a little graphic of the Microsoft Smart Campus. A um, little hard to read, I, I know, but the essence of Microsoft Smart Campus is they're managing 125 buildings, they've got 40,000 people. Their goal, through through, uh, sensors, smart building approach, their goal basically is to solve operational problems before they have to be reported, which means that a programmer has to get up from their work, and she has to make a phone call or go into some other system to tell them it's too hot, it's too cold, there's not enough air, there's too much air. Their goal is to solve this problem. Otherwise, they are forced to do on site, physical inspection of systems, and they can only get to a system every five years. That's obviously not good enough. Um, So this is kind of what's happening in the real world. None of our green building systems respond to this at all. If you go on the next slide you see kind of an approach that I like, which is a zero energy performance system, because zero net energy has to be a goal. Some people say net zero energy, but Truthfully, it's zero net energy. Start with where you are today, look at some of these benchmarks, and start driving the system to zero, because only zero is going to work. And so the next slide, I sort of give a graphic image of how you can, in fact, do this. I like the image of sculpting. If you look at the lead system and the brain system today, they resemble Jackson Pollock paintings in which we've dripped green and blue and brown and red colors all over a canvas until it basically is unintelligible to the average person and the average building owner says why do I need all this? So we really need to start with a block of marble which is every green good green idea on the planet and we basically need to chip away until we get to the things that really have importance. Now there are some systems out there that do a nice job of this one of which I show in the next slide from the large property management firm, Jones-Lang LaSalle. It's called the Green and Productive Workplace. And the essence of this is you're going to look at all the green features. You're going to look at all the things that affect occupant productivity. You're going to use the facility management team that's already in place. This is, in essence, about five hours of yes-no questions some days, Put it together and you can begin to see with a score how your buildings rate one versus the other and now in this system there's a thousand industry projects there for comparison. This costs $2,500 and can be delivered in essence in a day. This is where we need to go particularly for existing buildings if you want to really understand their Green performance, including the people features. It doesn't have everything, but if you try to include everything, you go nuts, and you never get anywhere. So on the next slide, I, I show kind of a system that I call sustainable key performance indicators. Um, you could simply set minimum, maximum numbers. You don't get a score till you hit the minimum. Scope 3 carbon, which is your employee commute, business travel, freight in and out, etc energy both uh, direct and purchase, waste generation towards a goal of zero waste, and purchasing because you now have uh, at least in the office supply area all kinds of um, applications from major vendors that give you an, essentially an eco score for your purchasing. So purchasing goes from 50% to 100. The minimum score you see on energy would be 50% uh, to reduction from common, etc. And there are ways to do this. In the next slide, you see a picture of a nice project completed about two years ago. In the next slide, in Amsterdam, called the Edge. Oh, um, I really see it's spelled wrong. Sorry about that. And if anyone's listening from the Netherlands, it's Amsterdam. Um, I got America in there, I guess. Um, but but this. This building has a, a BREAM score in excess of 98%. At the time it was the highest rated, when it was built, BREAM office building in the, in the world. I understand now and, uh, that somebody else has a slightly higher score, but but that's pretty good. And it has 28,000 sensors um, in it uh, to record all the building data in real time and fix things. And even the BREAM plaque, just to show how modern it is, the green plaque was delivered to the opening ceremony by drone, so uh, indoor drone. So we now have, uh, and that's on video by the way, um, we have a great examples. Obviously this is an expensive new building. It's a headquarters I believe for Deloitte in, in Amsterdam, um, but we have great examples. Why don't we use them? How do we move ahead? So in the next slide what I've done is to look into scenario building, which is a well-known uh, exercise among futurists, you know, where do we go? Do we have business as usual, and we accept the results, and we just say, well, that's life? Do we reform the delivery model so that we work more like the tax system? I don't know how the uh, inland revenue is in the UK, but in the US, our Internal Revenue Service processes 145 million individual returns every year with a 1% audit rate, it keeps people reasonably honest. And I think the goal here is to keep people reasonably honest. So why don't we go to a 1% audit or random audit at that level and let the architects, engineers, facility managers, people who are experts actually tell you what they did against whatever scoring system you like. That's reform and delivery model. You could change your ideas. You could say, well, we're going to use internet 3.0. We're going to focus on user experience. And we're going to keep refining these systems until the user experience is not a hair shirt, but it's going to be celestial music. So why not have great user experience as the goal and the starting point? Easy entry. Well, another way I've sketched this in the book is what about just continuous improvement? Instead of focusing on end goals, let's be more like the original Marks and Spencer from 10 years ago. Um, We have um, one way to go because there's no other way. Um, Continuous improvement is actually what we should be aiming for, particularly for existing buildings. And I have what I call this save the planet scenario, which is net zero carbon That should drive everything, and we just have to put a lot of these other things aside. Whether or not you provide chilled water to the building occupants, which is a question in the frame system, is irrelevant to our carbon issue. So let's just get rid of all that stuff that doesn't deal directly with carbon and reform our systems. So uh, in the book, and in conclusion, um, I think it's time for the next slide, Reinventing Green Building. And so I wrote a book, which is the title of the webinar, Why Certification Systems Aren't Working and What We Can Do About It. I would really appreciate if people would download the ebook. My publisher will be happy at least. I'll make fifty cents, US. Um, but it's important that we rekindle the dialogue because if you know what's going on today, you realize there's no dialogue going on, there's no challenge to the existing systems. There's just at least in the U.S. what I call happy talk. Look at how great we are, look at how many projects we've done. No one's talking about well. compared to what, does it really deal with our carbon problem, our, our global climate change problem, and if it doesn't why should we continue to support it. So that's what I have to say today. I certainly welcome questions from Jim and, and others. Uh, it is now available. If you pre-order before the end of May you can Use an order code, RGB, capitals, reinventing green building, 2016, at the publisher's site, New Society Publishers, and uh, newsociety.com, and you can get a 20% discount on that book itself. So, uh, again, thank you very much for attending today. Thank you for listening. And uh, you can reach me if you'd like to send an email or post something on Twitter, Google+, etc.
0: Great. That was uh, that's really interesting, Jerry. And actually, I've got a lot of questions, but um, we have a couple from the floor. I'd like some more. Actually, we've only got two. Uh, I think there's a hell of a lot more to talk about. Anyway, I, I'll start with one here. Um, it says, in terms of carbon emissions, what is the impact of buildings versus manufacturing industry, or even better, versus uh, the global uh, food waste? Do you have any idea about that, Jerry? Like, what's the, Where do buildings stack up against uh, manufacturing industry in terms of carbon emissions?
1: Yeah, so at least in the US, and I'm, I'm guessing that's a, <clears throat> a pretty good surrogate for most advanced economies, which are heavily service-based. We've obviously, we blame the Chinese for their carbon emissions, largest on the planet, but that's because we've outsourced all the manufacturing to them. Um, But if you look at the advanced industrial economies, the G7 countries, um, we have about, as I said earlier, in the US, 20% of carbon emissions are directly from residential energy use, 20% are from commercial energy use, or building energy use, non-residential. And then transport, so that's 40. Transport is about 25. That takes you to 65. And then industrial Power generation, everything else takes you 100. Um, If you add in building materials, and as people know if you're in the buildings business, buildings are continually being updated, upgraded, etc., as well as new buildings being built. The concrete alone, heavily in new buildings, uh, accounts for about somewhere between 4 and 8 percent of global carbon emissions. So if you add up all the building products and all the transport to get into building sites, et cetera, you know, you're probably buildings are half of the energy use in developed countries and around 30% in countries like India and China, where manufacturing obviously is a much heavier use. Um, in terms of food waste, that's a really great question, because while agriculture is not a huge energy user, even if you count the fertilizers and pesticides, Um, Food waste is significant and somewhere around a third to 40% of the food that's actually taken out of the field, so to speak, never winds up being used. Um, You'd have to multiply, obviously. um, Their energy use certainly double it. But, you know, I do think we're all in this together. We all eat food. Um, We need to think about something. I just happen to be thinking about buildings. Yeah, And I think that's, that's, worth, that's <laughs> worth thinking about, um, but it's not the end of the story. So
0: question here about why penetration for, uh, why is penetration for lead certification so low? But I think you kind of answered that because where was that slide where you showed things like the perception perhaps of lead or is, is too complicated um, uh, to, um, uh, there's no PR value in it anymore, these kind of issues. Is, is that right? Was that dealing with that?
1: Well, you know, I think the first, you know, the first thing is, look, we live in an <clears throat> economic society. People make decisions based on cost and benefit. And if the cost is large, the benefit has to be not just equal. My rule of thumb is the benefit has to be at least hmm. double. When I worked as a man- as a management consultant. I tried to deliver three to one first year ROI to my clients because they're not interested in just trading dollars. So you have to ask the question: Well, if there's thirty thousand lead projects, there's not much PR value in a new project anymore because you have to add too many adjectives. You have to be the first lead gold certified non-denominational church in Evansville, Indiana to, to get, yeah, uh, right to be the first. I mean, so, it's cost versus benefit. What is the benefit of the certification? Does it improve your operations? Well, if it's an ongoing database platform app that gives you a continuous reading how I'm doing mm-hmm. and um, becomes like, okay, now management can see week suite can see how we're doing versus our goals if so our goals to be a sustainable company and we're driving our company towards being 10% better every year in carbon emissions i can now see how i'm doing right. and that is my main critique is you simply it's not a management tool it's a pr tool and as a pr tool it has limited value yeah and if we if we're
0: not measuring these things we can't we can't change them can we or we can't
1: well, we're we're measuring all kinds of things, but the question is, does it really help me manage my buildings and facilities or is it just kind of a feel-good exercise? Now, I will argue, and I do in the book, there's a business case for using lead that has nothing to do with carbon, has nothing to do with energy. It's all about your employees and your desire to recruit and retain the best employees by performing in a way that they value as a sustainable company. That is much more valuable to a company than 100% energy savings. Now, in terms of the planet, it makes no difference. But there is a business case for green certification, for Bream, for LEED, that has nothing to do with any of the green stuff. It has to do with your employees and their view of the company. And if you're a stock market or a listed company, 70% of your equity today is reputational. It's not how much money you're making, it's what reputation. Why is Apple, or has been, the most valuable company on the planet? Well, they are, they make money, lots of other companies do too, it's reputation. So reputational equity, particularly among institutional investors, which for the large companies is a huge amount of their investment requirements, those institutional investors care about such things. So there are other reasons to want to demonstrate your commitment to sustainable practices other than just, you know, the, the green checkbox. Yeah.
0: What I Tip mean, I, I don't have uh, I mean, I'm not LEED certified. I don't have any experience specifically in your brand. Um, it did surprise me how much you were saying it costs to get a building certified. And actually, it kind of ties into a question that was asked here. Um, do you think that lead and uh, bream are a hindrance to change? Have we got to the point now where this is, it's too much um, cost sunk into it and it's causing a roadblock?
1: Well, as the sort of surviving players in the marketplace, my argument would be they have a need to reinvent themselves. Um, not to continue along the same path because clearly they're not getting the numbers. Um, That flies against the whole idea of how successful we are and how successful we've been. And so you see alternatives creeping up. So the big one now is called EDGE, E-D-G-E, in the developing countries promoted by the World Bank and the International Finance Corporation edge is much simpler much cheaper to use and totally appropriate for developing countries. Um, so they're going to have a hard time competing in the, where, where, where buildings are being built is not in the UK and the US in any substantial numbers. It's right. in Brazil, India, China, yeah. uh, etc. Uh, that's where we need to act on a global basis and that's where these systems simply are way too costly. Now they have a market it's just limited. Their market is commercial real estate, high-end commercial real estate in every country. Why? Because of investment needs. Investors in high-end real estate need to show they're investing in green buildings. So in China, you'll find lead-oriented developers, absolutely. In India, you'll find the same thing, but it's all high-end commercial real estate for multinational tenants. Right. The second area you find is the you know, Fortune 1000 on a global basis, again, have that recruitment, re, retention need on a piece. They have a reputational equity need. They're doing it. Once you get beyond that, it starts to get a lot slimmer in terms of market penetration. Yeah.
0: We ha- have a good comment here and also sort of leads into a question. Um, as you've illustrated, much of the IoT related technology already exists. To improve both carbon and business performance, but in my experience, the green building and smart building worlds have problems effectively interacting. They talk a different language and have trouble combining to come up with viable propositions that can actually sell uh, to the real estate market. How can we improve these collaborations and accelerate the speed to market of new uh, new propositions?
1: Great question. You know. Uh I sort of began my education about three years ago when I started working with one of the big data platform companies <clears throat> on their US market entry. And uh, I educated myself. And it just flabbergasted about how cheap sensors have become, how well they work off of ambient energy, such mm-hmm. as photoelectric, light, etc. Um, there is just an inertia in the marketplace. You've got to show 18 months or better payback, return on investment for these kind of investments, and you've got to educate an entire cadre of building owners, facility managers, um, etc. And that is just simply going to take time. But what I find is that the tools are so readily available. There's a company in the U.S. called First Fuel. Software that basically does remote building audits using a database of a hundred thousand plus building audits that they've audited. put in the database. Essentially, a smart fuzzy logic system. Um, they can do remote audits. The U.S. government has now picked them up as a as a vendor. Um, you could save tens of millions of dollars a year in building operations for large portfolio owners. So, what we're going to see, I believe is that the large portfolio owners, such as government, um, major corporations, large um, outfits like CBRE and Joe LaSalle, on global basis property managers, they're the ones that are in the Gresby system or GRES system. Um, they're the ones that are relying on institutional investment. They're relying on reputational equity. Those are going to be the, the early adopters. So I think if you're in the business of selling that stuff, you've got to focus on them first. Universities, certainly in the US, we have public universities that have uh, multiple campuses. Um, There are lots and lots of targets of opportunity. So I think you're going to see this be a classic called diffusion of innovation approach, where the innovators and early adopters are the first 10 or 15% of the market come rather quickly and then you you, you face kind of a long haul with the uh, early majority, etc. Some people don't want to know, obviously, but most people understand that even if you just look at energy, it's the largest uncontrollable cost in building operations. It's one you ought to focus on, um, has a strong impact on employee comfort and therefore productivity. Um, It's important to keep going. And, and obviously these markets are growing very fast. It's just that compared to the scale of buildings, they're not growing fast enough. So one of the things I think you have to do a little bit of uh, sideways logic, maybe the biggest impact or the biggest market growth spur would simply be public disclosure of energy use. So for example now in, in Australia, New South Wales, when you list a building for a rent or for a let you have to list the, the energy score according to their system which is called neighbors um, in the same size type as you list all the other building features in other words a 10 and it's the same way in the UK with the um, energy performance disclosure but we need absolute numbers not relative and so right now the The EU and the UK system, they're all relative to national performance averages. So if you have an A, it means you're the top of what is basically a bad lot. So what we need to do in the US, we have Energy Star, same thing, you get an Energy Star score of 100, it doesn't mean you're zero carbon. It just means that you're better than all the other buildings which aren't very good. Mm -hmm. So what needs to be coupled with all the technology Is disclosure systems that are absolute carbon kilograms per square meter whatever you system you want to use for measuring you have to drive people to zero net energy Um, that will make the adoption of these systems which measure things on a real-time basis which allow you to see the effects of improvements almost immediately across a whole portfolio that will drive the adoption of these measurement and verification and reporting systems because fundamentally you want to automate all the reporting as well and and so that is how management will drive it, top management Mm. but the the lower level, the facility management, the building management has to be brought along, has to be educated. It's a mammoth undertaking but it has a tremendous upside.
0: Just following on from that you mentioned sort of about auditing systems and that we can be Used a um, couple of questions. One was, uh, what facilities management platforms are there that are thinking the same on the, the same that you are? are? Are there any sort of you advocate systems that people can use?
1: Well, again, I only know the U.S. system So you have Lucid, L.U.C.I.D. You have Switch Automation. You have Noveda. You have a, a whole bunch of systems, and then. Related to that, you have things like fault detection, diagnostic systems, which are focused on your major energy using equipment. Um, All of this stuff is is in the cloud. Um, As I mentioned, the Microsoft example, they're managing um, about 10 million square meters of office space, 150 million square feet, um, all in the cloud with 10 people managing that whole system. Sensors are cheap. Wireless is everywhere. This is not rocket science. It's building science, right? And for example, you, you could take a hotel and in the, in the US, it, unlike Europe, where you have key cards that turn off your equipment when you leave the room, um, almost no US hotels have that system, surprisingly. But you could retrofit a hotel room, because every hotel has wireless, um, you, you could retrofit a room in the same time it takes the maid to clean it, about a half hour per room. So our issue in the US is energy is cheap. If you go to Canada where it's all hydro, it's even cheaper. If you go to Europe where energy is heavily taxed as well as expensively to, pr- to produce, it's a different story. So in Germany, they're paying twice as much per kilowatt hours in the US on the average. That's going to get your attention. right? So you're going to start to think about renewables. You're going to start to think about efficiency. But ultimately, you've got to be able to do this at scale, and mass. And so you need systems that are intelligent learners. Um, we now have computers that can beat the world champions at Go. An enormously complex game uh, with more possible moves than there are atoms in the universe, so they say. Um, computers can do this. Learning systems can do this. We don't need to go and audit every building to know what are the ten best energy efficiency upgrades to do for that building, because we know its energy use, we know its its uh, occupancy, we know its use. We know about ninety percent of what we need to know, and I and. My eight years of engineering school tell me that if I can get within 10% of the right answer, i got enough information to move forward. Right. So what it will take is a massive effort by government, private sector, consultants, vendors. But this is the direction the world is going. And as somebody once said, it's, it's a lot easier on the horse and the rider if you ride where the horse wants to go. So uh, this is where the world is going. We just need to accelerate the process dramatically. And I think these green building rating and certification systems have a role to play in that process. But they need to educate themselves in a hurry as to how to get in bed with the smart building movement so that we have smart green buildings. Or as they say in Canada, bright green buildings.
0: About three more questions I've got here. I'd like to get through. um, Sure. Interesting. Um, First one: How big of an influence do traditional building manufacturers have on keeping the standards outdated and expensive? And um, you know, is that because uh, that startups are coming through, they feel threatened by them? What what do you think about that? Is is there a real status quo at play here?
1: Well, status quo is always at play because upgrading your energy efficiency, water efficiency, etc. in a building costs money. Um, There's lots of financing schemes out there that help you with that. But the bottom line is, um, it's the new buildings coming online that are much lower operating costs that are your biggest competitors. So if you're running a large office building in a big city, you don't really have a choice. You need to stay competitive with operating costs, or you have to cut your rent, and if you cut your rent, you cut your profits. So, and the value of your building. So, in the large office sector, this is not as hard to talk about. So, for example, the Empire State Building in New York City, the iconic U.S. building for many of us, um, built now uh, 80, 85 years ago, uh, was able to do nearly a 40% reduction in energy use through a variety of means in a $20 million investment as part of a $500 million renovation. You know, you have to go through the cycles of renovation every time you have large buildings. So every time you're doing a renovation, you have to ask yourself, well, can I cut energy use 30%, 40%? And the answer is yes. We know how to do that. We have good examples. It is not hard. and it's a small part of your investment compared to having to reno- renovate a question. building, lobby, et cetera.
0: There's a question that leads into that. It's asking regarding smart and in buildings, what type of technologies have you observed uh, to be most effective at reducing energy consumption?
1: Well, I, I think the real key is you have to look at a portfolio level. One building at a time. Hardly anybody owns just one building, if you own big buildings. So you have to look at a portfolio level. And all of these new platforms um, are essentially like, so Lucid calls their system building OS, like Apple's iOS. Um, They're they're all open platforms on which you can write all kinds of apps. Um, Once you look at the portfolio level, you immediately have vision that you never would get as a building owner, or as a facility manager of of a portfolio, or as a sustainability manager. You now see, what are my best performers? What are my worst performers? In detail, you can get, in the US now, 15 minute interval electricity use data. You now can slice and dice things. I remember as a young engineering student many years ago, I would be given a stack of information to put into charts and graphs over a period of a summer's job, and then I never knew what happened to them afterwards. All of this stuff is now instantaneously available, and more than that, it's visual as opposed to just graphical, and you can now begin to see relationships, patterns, etc. You never saw before. Um, the International Council of Shopping Centers has a Property Efficiency Scorecard, which now has two thousand plus industry buildings in the database. I can now benchmark my, my buildings, my shopping centers versus everybody else. I can normalize that information by location, weather, occupancy, etc. cetera. Um, I have all this information at my fingertips for making better decisions. Now I throw on top of that software, which then gives me a menu of options and prices it. This is what, without anybody touching the building. I should now be able to have enough data to make good decisions once I put these things in place. So, my friends at Switch Automation, just to mention another company, they uh, brought a 120 building portfolio in Australia for a large uh, bank online in six weeks without ever visiting any of the buildings. So, as long as everything's IP addressable, you can do things really fast. So you can now think, well, if I am take a UK example, Marks and Spencer, Marks and Sparks, to you guys, um, and I own 300, uh, say, retail buildings, they can all be brought online onto a big data platform in relatively short order. And I mean relatively within six months, within three months, depending on how well the building management systems are already IP addressable. Sometimes you have to put in gateways or translators between analog and and digital or non-internet connected internet systems. But basically everything in the universe is now IP addressable. Which simply means that I now can put them on these platforms relatively cheaply and inexpensively. And on an annual basis I'm paying pennies per square foot. for, for that information. Now, all of a sudden, I don't spend my money and time gathering information and processing it. I spend my time acting on it. And that's the real key. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that really sticks in my mind about what you said is n- that we're not focused, or, and especially Breen and you know, p- the, the industry in general, on the outcomes on the fact that, you know, what are, what are we trying to achieve here, Net zero net buildings? Um, and if we can build back from that, then shouldn't that give us a clearer picture of, you know, what we're trying to achieve and how we can achieve that? It doesn't seem... Yes, uh,
1: but but I think it also needs, it points out the need for simplification because it's the old story, you know, as I think Einstein said this originally, was not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. So we have to measure things that really count. And what we've done is we've taken every good idea, I like to say, you know, saying a camel is a horse designed by committee, and all of these rating systems have been designed by multiple committees each Trying to optimize their own field, whether it's water conservation or landscape design or whatever, and the result is a four humped camel that you can't ride, um, just to complete the analogy. So we need to go back to basics. What are our basic key environmental issues, global climate change, water scarcity, uh, lack of landfill capacity, Let's focus on those first, and then we can add on, if you like, things like the Jones Lang LaSalle Green and Productive Workplace to get a little more on the employee side. But what we find now in the U.S. is an obsession with the chemistry of building materials. That's the latest green thing. Totally lost any interest in the energy picture because it's no longer cool. Um, I say that somewhat facetiously. But we've got to go back to basics and that's the essence of my book and my argument is we've allowed ourselves to become prisoners of our own complexity to the degree that nobody wants to deal with us anymore. So we might have the perfect system, but as they say, the perfect is the enemy of the good and we need to start over again. We need to reinvent this whole business. After all, it's been 25 years since Bream was created 15 years since LEED was created, everything goes through renewal cycles. You know, we don't use flip phones anymore, hardly anybody does. Um, and so companies like Nokia are basically struggling; they're out of business. BlackBerry is going out of business. We don't use stuff the way we did 10 years ago in electronics, not even 5 years ago. We want our phones to be everything to us, our smartphones. Why aren't they managing our buildings as well?
0: Yeah, and I guess I mean I, I don't. You obviously the expert on lead. I mean, I mean, is there any credit given to technology, collecting data and using sensors, using big data software to manage and, the, and look at the building? Yeah,
1: the, the answer is yes in passing. So yeah. you get you get credit if your um, building has a water meter now in the lead version four. Well, every building has a water meter. Yeah. You get more credit if it has a a meter for various sub-uses. But you don't get any real credit for having it connected to a big data platform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Again, focus on inputs and not outcomes. So my feeling is, I don't care how you manage your building, tell me what it does. Mm. Um, When you approach these kind of
0: body, lead brain bodies, and talk about these challenges. What is what is their response? Are they receptive to evolving?
1: Well, at this point, obviously the book has just come out, and the sort of you know I've been blogging about it since February. Their response has been a tremendous silence, and I I would hope that that indicates people are thinking about it, as opposed to if we ignore it, it will go away. Right. which is the standard responsive market leaders to any challenge and you know we're all in this together yeah so let's be
0: afraid of change.
1: let's have a dialogue let's discuss this and reform reinvent our systems you I mean 25 million dollars a year 20 million euros is the dream of green building system revenues. With 25 million dollars, you should be able to spin off a million dollars or a million euros to reformulate your system over the next year or so. And you can keep what you got now. What you got now works for big, complex buildings built by the global 1%, the wealthiest companies, the wealthiest people in the world. Keep that system for them. They like it. They use it. But for the rest of us, it's not working and therefore we need to fix things
0: right we're sort of coming to the end of the hour there Jerry um, I just wanted to give um, uh, a little uh, shout out to um, some events that have been running by switch automation uh, they're called the tipping point of real estate and technology and there's some breakfast meetings that are happening in the US there is one uh where are we there is one in Washington, I think today you may have missed that one, but one tomorrow if anyone's interested in the New York City area. so if you want to go to their website switchautomation.com uh, you can find out about it there uh, and obviously Jerry, um, let us know about tell us about the book again where can they they get it and also you had um, a code
1: earlier on for a discount yeah, so, so RGB capital standing for reinventing green building rgb 2016 at newsociety.com it's my publisher um and you just google my last name to find the book and you can order with that code and get 20 percent off until the end of may
0: great okay and i'll be putting this presentation online so i'll uh, i'll put a link there to uh to that to that website and uh so just to finished, I just want to say thanks to you and also to our sponsor Tridium as well for, for um, sponsoring these webinars that we're doing this year.
1: Thank you, Jim, and, and have a good day and yeah. we'll talk again.
0: Great. Thanks, Jerry. Bye-bye. Bye now.